Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning. What a beautiful sunny day in northern Colorado. I'm looking out the offices of my home, a window of my home studio, and the sun is bright. A little cooler. You know, we had some unseasonably warm weather, but it's cooling down. It's going to change things. Uh, fishing's going to change. We're still going to have open water on the front range. Chad LaChance will join us later in the hour. We'll talk about that. We're going to have a lot of hunting going on. We're going to get hunting updates on waterfall and pheasants. Uh, from both the northeast and southeast sections of Colorado. And we're going to talk some ice fishing today. Uh, And and let's just get right into it. Let's go right to the phones. And uh, joining us, oh, by the way, we have a short show today. We're only on for an hour. We'll be back the full two hours tomorrow. But joining us on the phones from Jack's Outdoor Gear is Dave Gross. Good morning, Dave. Hi, Terry. How are you today? Hey, I'm doing great, you know, and you look outside, you see the sun, but my thermometer said it was only 20 last night, and even though the temperatures will be in the 40s during the day, they don't hit that for very long, especially as you get up in elevation. And I know you and I talked earlier, and there's some people already hiking in and ice fishing some of the higher lakes, but it's not going to be long before we see ice at places like Red Feathers, North Michigan, Lake John. In fact, I'm going to be taking some trips this weekend and checking some of those, and I think we'll find out that we'll be on pace not that long after well we're still getting some front range ice in just a matter of a few weeks around the holidays but it seems to always come whether we think it is or not doesn't it dave it does yeah i sure hope it comes soon i'm ready for it well i am too i took my all my open water fishing gear out of my truck they're shrink wrapping my boat and i put the ice my ice fishing gear is actually in my truck my shelter my auger my uh my i got a bunch of rods tackle I will tell you one thing. This is going to be an interesting year. You know, we've you you as well as anybody at Jacks know that we've seen a, an enormous amount of amount of people getting back into the outdoors after a long time or going out for the first time, and they're doing a variety of activities. And I think ice fishing is going to be among those. I'm looking to see probably a bunch of new ice anglers out this year. Do you think that's what we'll see? I don't think we'll see as many as we saw during the summer, new anglers. But, yeah, we'll still have new anglers out and about. And ice fishing, go ahead. Especially with things that might be, they might be shutting more stuff down. Yeah, it's a good, you know, ice fishing is a great way to socially distance and still have fun. And you can even go with the group um, because you're not together in a boat or anything. But whether you're an experienced ice fisherman or whether you're a new ice angler, there's some you know basic gear you have to have. And over the next few weeks, we're going to cover a lot of that. But today we wanted to talk about a few things and uh, that people can get right there at the Jack store. And one that we've talked about a lot is the Spud Bar. Uh, Nate Zielinski and I both have done videos on them. You can go to my YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, and you'll uh, there's a video where I'm fishing North Michigan, and I show you how to use electronics, but I take you through using a spud bar. And I know you believe this. A spud bar is just crucial for checking, especially early ice, isn't it? Yeah, a spud bar is a must-have. You, you great get way that. to be safe, check the ice. It's always yeah, changing. Walk, it can be yeah, one, 
one thickness and 10 feet later it can be a different thickness. Oh, you're absolutely right, especially down here in the Front Range where it freezes and thaws, but even up in the altitudes where you get springs and current flows that eat away at the ice, you get snow. So you sell spud bars at Jack's. What does a spud bar typically cost? Do you know, Dave? Uh, the big ones, the ones that you need to be really using to check the ice are about $45. But, you know, it's a lifetime it's a lifetime investment and a life-saving investment, so they're a great thing to start. You know, the first thing you need when you go and get out on the ice is a way to make a hole, and I know we're going to talk about the different augers that are out there, but early ice, that spud bar can be all you need even just to make your fishing hole, right? You sure can. I mean, a lot of times I'll chisel, you know, check the ice on my way and I'll get out and I'll just take that spud bar and then chisel out maybe a six or eight inch hole and fish right there. So one of the biggest mistakes I think people make ice fishing is they try to take too much gear or they don't have a good way to haul it. And even with today's modern electronics, you need to keep moving until you find fish and when people don't have a good way to make a hole or they have too much weight with them, they get all set up, they tend to fish in one spot and they don't move around till they find the fish. And speaking of making a hole, you guys have a selection of augers. The first thing a new ice angler needs to do when he gets out on the ice, uh, you know, he needs a hole. Now, you can go with friends and sometimes if you're lucky, you can go to places where there's a lot of ice anglers and find an abandoned hole, but you really need a way. And the... What's available for augers has really changed, hasn't it? It is. There's hand augers, there's gas augers, propane augers, and electric augers. And then there's also augers that you can attach to a quality drill that you already own. Yeah, it's it's there's they've come so far and they're so light and reliable. Let's talk first about hand augers. Um, early in the season. I don't even take a power auger. I take a six-inch hand auger. What size hand augers do you guys stock at Jack's? Yeah, we've got uh, the Eskimo six-inch and eight-inch, um, fifty to sixty dollars. Yeah, and that's an easy way to get started. The one key with hand augers is keep the blades sharp. And what I always tell people: if the blades get dull, you're better off put new blades on and have a professional sharpen them because they're such a bevel the way they catch the ice that if that gets off, but a sharp hand auger on early ice actually will cut just as fast as a as a power auger because you're only going through maybe four or five inches of ice, and it's just a few turns and you're through. But um, And I prefer, you know, starting out with a six-inch. I know you go with smaller augers too, don't you? I do, yep. I use a lot of six and eight-inch. <laughs> and that's what I do too. And we'll get to the eight-inch and the power augers. The difference between a six-inch hand auger and an 8-inch hand auger is really, it's twice the amount of ice. Even though it's only a 2-inch bigger hole, it's twice the ice surface. And for most front-range fishing, and a lot of the mountain fishing even, a 6-inch hole is plenty, and it'll get you through the ice quick. And you can bring, if you can't get it to a 6- or 8-inch hole, you probably weren't going to land it anyway. I mean, I'm just kidding, but it's a, it, there aren't many fish that big. Let's say I've got a good hand auger or I want to start with an all-around power auger because I'm going to go up into the mountains and I'm not only going to fish the lower elevations, but when I get up and there's a foot or two feet of ice at times or more, I want to be able to cut several holes, and that can get a little fatiguing with a power auger. What are my choices? What I mean, you have 
you mentioned you have gas, propane, electric. Before we get to the electric, uh, how far are the gas and propane? Have they gotten so much better? Propane has. Gas is really about the same as it's been for 15 years. Now, when you get a propane one, do you get a, one of those small tanks on it? Do you hook it to a big tank? Um, with the propane, you just hook your can of Coleman fuel onto it, and you're ready to go. And it, it lasts an amazing amount of time. You'd be surprised how long that can of Coleman fuel will last. And now you're not mixing gas and oil, and you don't have that smell or leakage of stuff getting in your truck with propane that you could have with gas. So I really like that idea. Are the propane ones lighter than the gas augers? They're about the same, um, except for the Rocket. And there might be some other brands that have come out with some lighter stuff. Eskimo came out with the Rocket a couple years ago, and it's about 30% lighter than most of them. But I'm sure there's some other ones out there that are pretty lightweight now. What are we looking at for the price of a propane auger? Propane is going to start about four seventy-five, four eighty. Gas okay, and then start around three thirty. Okay, so so the propane's a little more expensive, but I think probably worth it. But I think the biggest innovation in the last few years has been the electric augers, and there's variations. I know you use one called an ion. You guys carry that at. Uh, uh, Jax, tell me about that ion auger. So the ions, there's uh, three different models, starting with the three amp. That is four hundred and fifty dollars. Comes with the battery, and then you jump up to the five amp, so longer battery life. Um, that's going to jump up to, I think, mid five hundreds. And then there's the G two, which came out last year. It's got a heavy-duty plastic-type auger, um, still got the metal frame, metal blades, um, but about only about 17 pounds, so super, super lightweight. It's got a 6-amp battery, so that battery goes forever. You could drill for two days with that without having to worry about charging it. Well, that's, you know... 17 pounds, that's no weight at all. And then the fact you said you could get probably two days of drilling holes on one charge. I mean, and now you don't have to worry about, is it going to start like you would with propane or gas? You just push the button. As long as you keep the battery charged and keep them sharp, there's just so many. And then there's also people want, there's even attachments you can put on electric drills, right? Correct. Yep. There's, there's adapters, so you can use your hand auger. And then there's also augers that you can put your drill on so you've got lots of options when people come into jacks to find out about making a hole you could start out you know the thing is people can start out with a six or eight inch i'd say a six inch hand auger and then as they find themselves getting into it you're still going to want to keep that hand auger for some cases and then invest in a good power auger because if you get if you get fanatic about it, there are days when I'm on the ice when, you know, the electronics have gotten better, so you don't move quite as much. But there's days when I'll drill 50 or 100 holes. I'll bet you've done the same thing. Yep, yep. Drill a lot of holes some days. Well, you know, people would never go to the same spot in open water and cast and cast to the same spot over and over again if they weren't catching a fish. 
But they'll go to a hole in the ice and sit there all day, and if they're not catching them, they just say they're not biting. Now, we're going to talk more about that over the next few weeks, about how you know if the fish are there, how you get them to respond, how you change your presentations. But, you know, a lot of times it's just like being on open water, whether you're in a boat or on the shore. If you're not catching fish after a short while, sometimes you're better off to move, and if you don't have a good way to cut a hole, you won't do that. The last thing... I want to talk to you about if I'm a beginning ice auger and I come into Jack's, um, can you help me with, uh, do I need to buy like hundreds of dollars worth of jigs and bait? Or can you recommend a few things that you can get me started with? Oh, you can get started really easy for around a hundred dollars. If you've already got tackle, because a lot of your jigs and spoons that you already have for open water are going to work during ice fishing. You might already have a sled at home to pull stuff with if you want to make that easier to carry your stuff, or you can purchase a sled that's made for ice fishing, more heavy-duty, higher edges, so it doesn't tip over. Um, so it's pretty easy to get into. And and then what about a selection of baits and tackle? Do I have to spend a lot on that, or can I get just a few things to get started? Just a few things. Ratzos, rat finks. You just put a little bit of bait on them. They're inexpensive. You're going to catch most of your front-range panfish and trout with that. So really simple. And then you've got your different spoons, rattle spoons. Um, that starts to get a little more expensive, $3 range. Um, but, yeah, you don't need a bunch of uh, $10, $20 lures or anything like that. You know, you mentioned two presentations, a small jig like the Ratso or Ratfink, and then a, a spoon. I love the Northland spoons, and I love um, Swedish pimples. Those are two spoons I use a lot, the Buckshot Rattle Spoon. <clears throat> and a lot of times I'll tell people, buy a second rod stamp if you're going to ice fish. Put one down like that Ratfinky with a little bit of bait on it, and maybe just every now and then have it in a rod holder and just reach over and twitch it so it gets a little action. But then work that spoon in a hole next to it. A lot of times, fish will come in and see the spoon. Sometimes they'll hit it, but a lot of times they'll get attracted to it, but they won't hit it, but then they'll hit the little jig. So really, you get a couple setups like you said, and they're all set up. And I assume you can supply them with bait too, right? Yes. Well, we have wax worms, male worms, baby night crawlers, large night crawlers, minnows. Um, when it starts to get a little more busy we'll have spikes also we usually wait a little bit longer because those don't last as long and spikes are kind of like a maggot or whatever and they're really effective for ice for yeah. ice fishing yeah. well they're probably the best dave we're out of time but if people come in i know what you guys will do at any of the jack stores now you're at the jacks here in loveland you're working fort today collins. but if people yeah. fort collins i'm sorry i i knew that but, <laughs> but um if people come into any of the Jack stores, somebody's going to take the time and help them get started right, and they should get out because ice fishing is a lot of fun, isn't it? It is. I love it. My kids love it, so it's a good way for all of us to get out together and have fun. All right. Thank you, Dan Dave, for joining us, and I'm sure we'll be talking to you again soon. I'll probably be in the store looking around at stuff soon. All right. Thanks, Terry. Have a good day. You bet. That was uh, Dave, Jack's Outdoors. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. Just take those old records off the shelf. I said listen to them by myself. Uh, 
Terry Woods from Outdoors, documented by Jack's Outdoor Gear. If you're getting ready for ice fishing, they have everything you need. Let's go right to the phones. And joining us from the southeast Colorado area is Todd Marriott. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. You know, we've been talking a lot of fishing. We're going to talk more fishing later in this show, but we got a couple hunting updates. You and your counterpart, Josh Melby, are going to bring us up to date on eastern Colorado, and we're going to start with you. Um, there's a lot of hunting. It it goes on well past the holidays, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. We've got seasons uh, out east here that uh, go well into spring. Let's touch real quick on uh, on the big game. Uh, a lot of people think big games pretty much wound down, but you have December antelope and deer out there. Is there still a way to get licenses? Yeah, we do still have some licenses on the leftover list uh, that are still available. The, the most important thing to remember on that is uh, we do have a lot of private property. Um, you just need to make sure you have permission before you go on there. But we also have a lot of public land with a lot of big game opportunities. Now, when, when you get out, I, I know about the pronghorn, but when you get the deer out in your area, we start getting a mix of whitetail and muleys. Is that what you find where you're at, and which one is more prevalent? Uh, you know, we do have both, um, and it just kind of depends on where you're looking at. Uh, if you get down along our Arkansas River stuff, we do have a majority of whitetail, uh, but as you spread out into some more of our ag land and, and different areas away from the river, you get a little more mule deer. But we do have a really good mix of both out here. Yeah, and I'm a huge whitetail fan. I'm nothing against mule deer. I'm a huge hunting fan, but a huge whitetail fan. I started my hunting in northern Minnesota, hunting whitetails, and I just love the whitetails. I think they're they're just so fun to hunt. Let's talk about some of the other opportunities because maybe people are, aren't ready to invest in the big game hunting yet. And I think a lot of the shotgun hunting is a great way for new people to get into hunting. We're getting so many new hunters and also a great way to introduce youth. Now, that could be small game, which I know you have plenty of, but it usually amounts to hunting birds in one way or another. Let's start with your upland game. Across Colorado, we're not going to lie to anybody. It's not the peak years we've had in the past pheasants are down but what are you seeing out there for pheasants and quail in your area well you're you're definitely right uh this hasn't been the greatest year with the drought uh but we definitely still have opportunity for pheasant and quail our quail have been holding out pretty good in a lot of our stuff and guys are finding a lot of opportunities out there especially on some of our walk-in access properties Guys are getting into some pheasants and some quail out there, so it's it's still a good time to go out and, and enjoy the outdoors. Now, the quail use just a little different habitat than the pheasants, is that right? Yeah, for the most part, they're going to be in a little bit different habitat. You're going to look for some of the, the shrubs um, that they're going to be using as cover, um, whereas the pheasant are going to be a little more ag, farm ground, and some of those grass fields. So does that mean there's probably, now I know that when you talk in generalities, the pheasants are stronger, and we'll find out from Josh what's going up there, maybe a little more in the northeast, and the quail tend to be a little stronger in the southeast. And for people who have never hunted quail, because of that difference in habitat, is there maybe a little more public land available? Yes, as you go farther south, um, we have a little more public ground that's available that we do a lot of habitat work specifically for quail on the public ground. 
Um, and so we, we try and encourage guys to get out and really enjoy some of that stuff. All right. So let's talk then about the waterfall. Uh, another great opportunity down for you guys is duck and goose hunting. Uh, of course, it's always dependent on weather, migrations, what's going on. Bring us up to speed on what you're seeing in the waterfall right now in your area. Right now, we're starting to get quite a few geese in the area, uh, both snow geese as well as Canada geese. They're starting to build up. We don't have our peak numbers yet for the winter, but we're definitely starting to see quite a few of them, especially along the Arkansas River, along those lakes. Um, But right now, our duck numbers are really, really high at all of our lakes down here. And uh, we're starting to see a lot of guys come out and really, really get after the ducks. So it's, it's a great time for it. Now, what about access for both ducks and geese down there? Is there public access, private, walk-in? Is it a combination of both? Do you have blinds that are reservable? What? How does it work in your area? So we have a lot of public access for waterfowl hunting. We have several miles of Arkansas River open to hunting, um, and then most of the bodies of water down here are open to public hunting. So there's, there's a lot of opportunity on public land. But there's also a lot of opportunity with our walk-in access program that we have specifically for goose hunting. And then there's always private property. Um, those geese and ducks are flying out in the mornings and evenings to feed on those fields, and, and guys are getting into them there. And um, at the Queens Reservoirs, we actually have pits um, that you can come out, you can check into them, and use those pits to be able to hunt the geese right there at the lakes. And and you and I have talked before that waterfall hunting the geese especially will stay good right into spring, won't it? Oh yeah, we'll, we will have uh, geese that winter here, and they'll be here through uh, until they start to migrate back north. And even as they migrate, and we get into that conservation season for snow geese, the we'll be getting new groups coming back up um, and keep the hunting going for quite some time. The harder part is, is as we get later into the season, it is a little tougher to decoy those geese in. They get a little wary. They, they start to learn some tricks. But guys still have great opportunities and still get geese well into the spring. All right. And you wanted to mention the Parks and Wildlife Atlas. Tell me about that. Yeah, so we have the hunting atlas. It's on our website. Um, you can go on there and see all of the public land that we have. It also has all of our walk-in access properties on it. And the nice thing about that is you can actually download it onto your phone, and if you bring that app up while you're on your smartphone, it will actually put your location right there on the map so you can see exactly where you are on the property, know where, how to get to the next property, and it's, it's a really helpful tool to know exactly where you're at and know where you need to go for public property. Todd, we got to run, but it sounds like, you know, people don't put your shotguns away. You're going to have great opportunities all through the Southeast. And we're going to talk to Josh about the Northeast. Um, It's just something that, you know, people want to get out in winter. They don't want to stay in anymore and they're not traveling with COVID and uh, picking up that shotgun would be a great way to do it. Wouldn't it, Todd? Absolutely. It's a great way to spend uh some of those beautiful days we have out here. All right. Thanks, Todd. Thanks for joining us. Great information. I'm sure we'll be talking to you again soon. All right. Thank you. All right. Todd Marriott from Colorado Parks and Wildlife in the Southeast area. 
We're going to take a quick timeout. We come back. Josh Melby is going to join us. We're going to talk about the Northeast hunting opportunities. And then we'll finish up with Chad Lachance talking fishing on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. You know, you're not going to want to stay indoors this winter, not with everything that's going on. A lot of you can't travel. You're going to need good outdoor clothing. Head to Jack's. They have a tremendous selection and experts to help you pick out the right clothing to keep you warm in your outdoor activities. Let's go right to the phones. And joining us from northeast Colorado is Josh Melby. Good morning, Josh. Good morning. How are you? You know, I'm doing great. I was talking to uh, Todd from the southeast, and we kind of were going over his hunting opportunities. And we've got so many more people, uh, Josh, that are getting outdoors that, because they can't travel. They're not going on their out-of-state vacations and things. And, you know, a lot of people have more time. Their f- schedules are flexible, working at home. And a lot of them are getting into different outdoor activities where we've been talking fishing and hunting. And uh, the shotgun hunting especially lends itself to new hunters probably a little more than big game and even youth hunters. And it really goes on throughout the winter in Colorado, doesn't it? It does. So uh, we're, we're fortunate. I mean, Colorado is always known for, you know, big game hunting in the mountains, but um, the Eastern Plains holds some pretty phenomenal small game opportunities. And, uh, you know, pretty much September 1st through the end of January, there's lots of opportunities out there. So. Let's start with the upland game. And as I mentioned with Todd, you know, this, we're not going to try to kid anybody that this is, we've had over the last 12 years, we've had maybe eight or 10 of those years that were phenomenal upland game in Colorado. We've had a couple down years and the weather kind of came together in a perfect storm to make this one a little bit tougher. I think, what are you seeing for pheasant and quail? And I know more pheasant in your area. Yep. So yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Um, I wish I had a, a really good report to, to give people, but we are down on our bird numbers. Um, most of that was due to the spring. We had a, a late cold spell right during the nesting period. Uh, and that's really tough on those eggs. And, uh, so we lost a lot of those early nests. Um, and then that got followed up by uh, some drought conditions. So um, the chicks that we did have, it was tough to recruit numbers of them. Um, and that, that's typically where we get our really good boom years is when we have lots of chicks and lots of those young birds on the ground um, that following fall that uh, haven't been educated and uh, really create some good success for hunters. But with that said, um, there's still still decent numbers of birds on the landscape out there. Um it's just going to um, require some different tactics this year. So, you know, hunters that are expecting to just go out and, and walk that grass patch or the wheat stubble and, you know, have birds kicking up at their feet um, are probably going to be disappointed because um, 99% of the birds that I'm seeing out there in the field are um, older birds. So they're not young of the year birds. So they, they've been through this for one or two seasons and, uh, um, they they know what's going on so um you know talking to a lot of hunters they're seeing birds but they're jumping out wild um so really kind of planning out those fields and you know maybe a few less walkers and more blockers and uh and really coming up with a game plan to outsmart those birds and figure out a way to walk those fields that's a little different than everybody else is doing it um to 
to hopefully corner some of them and uh, trick a few of them. Now, any other tips about what time, what kind of weather? You know, I've always kind of firmly believed that with the older birds and even the younger ones as you get into the season, a little bit cooler weather with a little snow on the ground kind of helps. Do you feel that way? Yep, yep, and weather's going to be key this year. Um, you know, really watching those forecasts and, and timing your hunt um, if you're flexible enough to to hit those key weather conditions. And, you know, obviously the, the number one is if we get good snow, um, it forces those birds into that heavier cover and that traditional grass, um, and they, they really bunch up. So if you can hit, you know, during or right after a snowstorm, um, success is going to be a lot better targeting some of those plum thickets and, you know, habitat plots out there. Um, the other thing is uh, wind. Um, you know, typically I, I don't really care to hunt in the wind, um, but it can actually be in your favor um, with birds that are a little wiser um, because nobody gives pheasants credit for their actual sense of hearing. Uh, they have really good hearing. And, you know, if you slam that door into the field, if you watch, there's usually birds piling out the other end. Um, so if you've got good wind, it'll cover uh, the sound of you moving through those fields. Um, and you can almost hunt them more like deer where you're sneaking through the field and trying to get pretty quiet um, and get up on them and, and surprise them so they don't know you're there. Um, and by the time they realize you're there, they're going to jump within range versus um, 400 yards out the other end of the field. So, the wind also gives me uh, an excuse for missing. I like that too. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah I, uh, I always need that myself. Yeah. Uh, hey, before we move, on, I want to talk waterfall. But before we move on, uh, is this a time where the public access is your best opportunity? I know the conservation corners might be a little better habitat this year than some of the other, or is this the time to knock year to knock on a few doors to talk to some private landowners? Yep. Um, both. Um, I wouldn't overlook the public ground. Uh, we've got a lot of acres enrolled in the small game access program. Um, and we got the Corners for Conservation program, which is a partnership between Parks and Wildlife and Pheasants Forever. Um, and that is right now some of the best habitat that we've got on the landscape. So even if they get hit hard and walked, um, those birds want to be back in there. And if we get weather, um, that's the best cover. So they're going to be back in there um, even though they've been hunted. So don't overlook that public. Um, on the public, you know, really look for that key habitat. So you know, not all grass fields are the same. Um, if you drive by and you're seeing lots of weeds and sunflower stalks out there, um, there's a good chance that the bird numbers are going to be a lot higher because that's key brood-rearing habitat versus if it looks like a, just a nice solid stand of grass, um, that's one that I might might drive past and look for the next one just because you don't have those forbs in there to, uh, to raise those chicks. Um, but um, there's always good opportunities on private. Um, you know, stop and ask. Um, you don't get permission all the time, but most landowners, um, if you take the time to, to stop and ask or give them a phone call, uh, most of them usually have a place that'll let you hunt, um, especially if you got kids with you. Um, very rarely are you going to get told no if you're uh, taking kids out in the field and getting them introduced. And that's the important thing. You know, don't always judge the success of the hunt by how many birds you harvest. Obviously, you want to see some birds. You want to get some shooting. But enjoy being out there, especially if you can take uh, some youth out and a family member. We only have a couple minutes left. 
Josh, but I do want to touch on waterfall. Um, you have some incredible waterfall habitat up and down through your area. Can you bring us up to date on what you're seeing with ducks and geese? Um, yeah, we've uh, we've had a really good year so far with waterfowl. Um, in the northeast, we have a ton of managed shallow wetlands, um, which really target those early birds coming through. Um, and that last little cold front we had, we had a big push of birds that moved in um, and have kind of distributed throughout the area. Um, so lots of good opportunities hitting those shallow wetlands. Um, and goose numbers right now are better than we've seen this time of year for uh, for a couple of years. Uh, we have tremendous goose numbers on the uh, the reservoirs right now and uh, and staying in the area. Um, and, and actually a lot of snow geese in that brush Fort Morgan area. Um, that are working fields so um, definitely a good time to get out there and, and chase some waterfowl um, everybody likes to wait for those late season mallards but um, there's a lot of opportunity right now and uh, i was out on a lake doing some fish sampling yesterday and uh, there were actually pretty good numbers of mallards and big ducks uh, on the larger reservoirs already now there's quite a bit of public access and some reservable is that right there is. So we have uh, along that South Platte corridor, um, we have pretty much state wildlife areas and state trust land and walk-in access scattered the entire length of it. Um, some of it is by reservation only, um, where you have to call in and make a reservation. Um, and then some of it's just first come, first serve. Um, so it's good to be familiar with those. And um, if you can time those with the weather too, just like the pheasants and uh, if you can take off during the middle of the week and avoid the crowds, um, there's usually some pretty good opportunities on some of those public areas. Well, Josh, it just sounds like there's no reason for people to be sitting indoors. Go outside, grab that shotgun, and, and enjoy because this will go on. You'll have waterfall oh, well through the spring, too, up there, right? Yep, yep. We'll have waterfowl now through, uh, you know, February into the uh the snow goose conservation season so um there'll be be lots of opportunities and then there's there's always opportunity for uh coyote calling uh predator hunting um that's probably a huge underutilized resource on our small game walk-in access um there's lots and lots of coyotes on that stuff and uh and always lots of rabbits take the kid out with a 22 and, and go chase some rabbits when we get some snow so Oh, that's an awesome, awesome suggestion. Thank you, Josh. Thanks for joining us. Yep, thank you. You bet. Josh Melby from Parks and Wildlife. We're going to take a quick time out, and we come back. We're going to switch things up, and Chad LaChance can join us to talk fishing. On Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. You know, I do kind of like this group, Kyle. Yeah, I think we're all aware, Terry. Oh, all right. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Real quick, before I go to Chad, there's been some people requesting information if we know where there's fishable ice. Uh, personally, I, I don't know of any. I've heard some reports of being in the high country. I am going out checking this weekend. If I find anything, I will post it on Facebook at uh, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. So we will put it up there this weekend. So follow us on Facebook. But let's go right to the phones right now. Oh, by the way, before we go to the phones, I would the first place I would call, Lake John in the North Park area, I did freeze over earlier and, and, and reopened up. 
I would call the Lake John Resort because there might be fishable ice there. Let's go to the phones where we'll join by Chad Lachance, who wants to still talk about using his long rod in open water. Good morning, Chad. Hey, good morning, Terry. How are you this morning? You know, I'm doing well, and people are just anxious to get out. They want the want the lakes to freeze. They want to ice fish. A lot of them have put their boats away. But whether you're a boater from shore, there's still one great opportunity for sure that's happening up and down the front range, isn't there? Oh, yes, sir. And you open this segment with Take It to the Limit, and that seems like a reasonable place to start because this is the time of year that Colorado Parks and Wildlife crews are out, and they are putting catchable-sized trout in the front range reservoirs from basically the entire front range. They'll spend a month or so stocking all these lakes. And the reason is because the water temperatures have cooled down enough that the trout won't be shocked when they put them in the water. So they can dump them in a place like uh, Boyd Lake or Chatfield or someplace like that. And the water temperatures are cool. And so those trout will survive immediately when they put them in there. And they will become immediately, there's a reason they use the term catchable, because these trout are immediately catchable. So they're already of size that will make them at least, a, a, you know, a, a reasonable fight on your rod. They're also of size that they can be eaten. And in my experience, they're extremely willing. So I was out on Boyd Lake the other day with uh, with fellow fishful thinker guy Dan Swanson, and uh, we just happened to be at the lake fishing in Marina Cove by pure coincidence, and here comes a stocking truck, comes back and down the lake and dumped a bunch of them in the lake. And literally within within minutes, I mean, within five or ten minutes, they were feeding heavily on the surface, those, those trout were. So the term catchable is very applicable. It would have taken me about 15 minutes to put a limit of those in the boat had I chosen to do so. And the best part of it is you could have done it just as easily from the bank, as you already alluded to, because those trout are very much uh, going to run the basic areas that they were stocked for at least a little while before they start dispersing out into the lake and moving around. And even then, they're still going to feed near the banks, particularly windy banks, things like that. So, uh, you know, the catchable trout is a major deal for, for Colorado. They will survive over the winter, and, and part of the reason they put them in now is also to make them accessible to ice anglers. You just mentioned first ice. As soon as places like Boyd or Chatfield freeze, these trout will be very willing uh, participants for folks who want to get out on that ice. So I don't have a full stocking list in front of me because it's extensive and too long to read on the radio right now. But if you go to, to uh, Colorado Parks and Wildlife's website, if you just Google CPW you know, stocking report, it'll pop right up. And you can see where they've put them. And for a guy that maybe doesn't get to fish all the time or for a guy that has a kid with him that wants to just go out and catch a whole bunch of fish or somebody maybe wants to eat a few fish, these are a perfect uh, example of that and, uh, and just a really good chance to get a lot of hook sets in a hurry. I happen to be out there testing a new rod that I'm working on for Abby Garcia and it occurred to me that, well, geez, I got a whole bunch of trout right in front of me. Maybe I should cat- catch a bunch of these just to get a feel for how the bites feel on this rod, things like that, and no problem. There's, they, they can be, uh, just because they just got dumped in the lake, and they're, to be honest with you, not the smartest fish in the world, at least at first. They've never dealt with being in the wild. They still can be a little bit picky in how they bite. They like to bump a lot of stuff but not actually bite it. They're extremely curious fish. So you got to sometimes be a little bit careful. But the one thing I'll tell you for sure, 
if it, now is the time to start soaking a whole bunch of power bait. And, uh, you know, that's a hugely popular thing in this state. And if you go around some of the boat ramps, and that's a key thing, they tend to stock these at the boat ramp because they can back the truck down the ramp, dump them in the boat ramp. And because they do that, it's a great time to fish somewhere near the ramp areas and get a bunch of bites. And the first thing I'm going to do, if I was going to take somebody out that was maybe a noob at fishing or maybe... Uh, maybe somebody just likes to happen to bait fish, whatever the case might be, I'm either going to float some power bait up off the bottom or I am going to suspend it from the surface, just depending on, and if I had a second rod stamp, I'd probably do one of both. And it can be a really good opportunity to, uh, to catch a whole bunch of fish in a hurry. Another really, really good choice for catching these can be uh, an inline spinner, like a, a minnow spin, a Johnson minnow spin is a great choice or a little small spoon of some sort, like a Johnson splinter spoon. Uh, really good choice to catch a whole bunch of them in a hurry. Personally, I caught them snap jigging a gold minnow. Your listeners will not be surprised by that, but a two-and-a-half-inch gold minnow on a on a 16-ounce um, jig head will get you a ton of bites as well. It takes a little bit more technique to go that route as opposed to, say, winding the minnow spin. But at the end of the day, all of them will produce you bites. And if you're not getting bites, I would rotate through baits in a hurry, color, uh, size, speed, things like that. I would rotate stuff in a hurry because, like I said, they can be a little bit picky about what they'll commit to biting, but they will bite. So you just got to get you'll go through a few things and maybe, you know, uh, do a little experimenting. For me, it's going to start with pinks reds oranges something in that range uh is typically the best my little gold mineral and pink shines a great color for that um something along those lines but even with my power bait i'm going to rotate through a few different colors and see which one will catch their eye chad we are almost out of time because we we were backed up because of a short show today but i couldn't think of a better opportunity to get out and take advantage of uh of this and you're, you're liable to catch some holdover fish too as the water cools if people want more information from you chad where can they find you well they can find us at fishful thinker on any social media especially on youtube as well uh instagram and facebook especially and i'll throw out one quick thing just very quickly if you're a guy that's more tuned into trophy fish now's a great time to fish around the boat ramp for the big walleyes or potentially the big catfish or the others that come in and try to feed on those trout as well. So it's an opportunity for extremely skilled anglers and kids alike. All right, my friend. Sorry we had a short, but this is a great thing for people to get out. we got good sunny weather. The shower are going to be close to shore. You can take some home. They're meant to be harvested. Great time to eat a few. Thank you, Chad. You bet. Terry, have a great day. You bet. Chad Lachance. So great. Before we run completely out of time, the stocking report, if you go to my Facebook, uh, the best of fishing, I mean, Terry Wicks from Outdoors on Facebook, we post the fishing report. There's a link right in that to the stocking report. So just go to my Facebook page. I'm also going to get out checking ice this weekend. And Chad mentioned YouTube. On my YouTube channel, there are a number of shows catching these trout from shore and a boat. Uh, right here in Colorado, where we take you through the techniques. We're going to wrap things up. We have a short show today because of the Ohio State football game, but we will be back to two hours next week 
and hopefully uh, we won't have too many more interruptions. COVID has kind of played it havoc with some of the schedules. So I want to thank Kyle, thank Karen for making this show go. We'll let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour in sports on 104.3 The Fan. Rise